Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is a story that is both terrible, distressing, and infuriating. Robert Major faces two counts of second-degree murder. In the September 16 deaths of Mikhail Bush, she was 24, and her 16-month-old son, Noel, Noah McConnell, in Hinton, Alberta. Now, Major, who's listed on the National Sex Offender Registry database, um, lived in the same building as his victims. The bodies were found in Major's apartment. He, by the way, was the subject of an Edmonton police warning in 2017 after he was allowed to live in the community. And here's how the police warning read. The Edmonton Police Service has reasonable grounds to believe he, Major, will commit another sexual offense against a female, including children, while in the community, end of quote. Now, it's not known whether Major or when he moved to Hinton. It's not known when that happened. And the National Sex Offender Registry, by the way, the database is not available to just any member of the community. Uh, Cody McConnell, Mikhail Bush's fiancé and father of Noah, has said the system failed Mikhail and Noah by not letting us know we moved in next door to a convicted sexual offender. Cody McCollum joins us on The Roy Green Show with um, family friend Verna Sand and Scott Newark, former Alberta prosecutor who was instrumental in the establishing of the National Sex Offender Registry database. Cody, deepest condolences to you uh, and your family on your, on your terrible loss. Thank you. And, and Verna, to you as well. I know the, the family is very important to you as a, a longtime family friend. Thank you. Cody, you want answers. You want answers from the justice system. You want answers from the police. Please please tell us what it is that's on your mind, what you've been thinking about, and the answers, the questions that you want answered. Well, I want... Uh... Well, I think basically what we want as a family is to ensure that this kind of tragedy can never happen again. Um, we need to find out why it was able to happen in the first place, and we want to make changes. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and I can, I think I can appreciate, I'm not sure, but I've, I've talked to many crime victims, unfortunately, in this country, as has Scott, and we've done it together on this program. They've become victims because the system let them down how long, Cody, how long were, were you residents in the building? Uh, uh, we were only there for about 10 days, just shy of two weeks. And had you had any encounters with Robert Major? No. Nothing at all? Never. No, but there had been other people in the building that didn't get a hold of me till after the fact that said they had encounters. And um, I was also told that a young lady had moved out because of this man, and that had all been reported to the apartment company, but not yeah. to me. Yeah. You want to know how it is that guy got to live in the same building as you did without you and your fiance knowing who he was and the threat he represented? Well, absolutely. And the fact that we moved, like, a, we were only a block away from a school, right? And multiple playgrounds. And it was an elementary school, too. Yeah. Have police talked to you at all about Major's presence in your building? No. No, they didn't even know he was there. Because the, when they went missing, 
I got home at like five o'clock or whatever, and I had to I called the cost by about five forty five because supper was cooking and it was just suspicious that they weren't home. So I just called the cops right away. And they had no idea who the guy was. He was the first apartment that we went to. Like, I looked that guy in the eyes, and I talked to him, but he was hiding behind his mask. So you actually, you talked to this guy, you talked to me. Oh, yeah, three times. This is after? After the the fact. After the fact. It it would have been only, like, 40 minutes, an hour after he killed them. Oh, my God. Scott, it makes your uh, makes your blood run cold. You and I have talked to far too many victims of crime. You more than I, um, and and you you know that Cody and uh, and Verna and their families want to do what victims of crime in this country do. They want to make sure that nobody else suffers as they have suffered. One of the questions that you, as a former Crown prosecutor who was very instrumental in the creation of this sex offender database, one of the questions you want answered. Well, I think the. The, uh, the one that you start with, and it's been that way with virtually every case we've ever dealt with, is what exactly happened here and what didn't happen and why? Because this guy and, you know, his background was that he had been convicted of a sexual abduction and assault of a child, okay, and he was, we know from the details we've been able to see that's been reported and a little digging around, we know that he got a, a federal sentence of almost four years. Uh, let's just say he was uh, not one of the star candidates because he was kept at least until the two-thirds of his sentence, which is relatively rare. And then he's released on a whole bunch of conditions. And after that, as you mentioned, the Alberta police release a public notice and they have him put on the specialized um, supervision order that, again, came out of work that we did on previous cases where it's like he's on, uh, you know, a parole order but with, with specific conditions that include things like not being around kids. And we don't know. Those orders can go on for two years, and we don't know why it was that that order was not renewed or the, the cops didn't go back to try to get it because if if they'd have been able to do that and, and as i say i don't know whether the police decided they couldn't go back the crown didn't approve it or they took it to court and the judge turned it down but it was after that that this guy then left edmonton okay where he was you know under supervision and with restrictions and instead he's free to go when he uh, and he moves uh, to uh, uh, to hinton yeah and that's for me is question number one is why the hell was this guy not followed up with given the conclusion that he was high risk as you noted in what was in the public statement yeah and and by the way did he comply with the law under the sex offender registration act and registered a new address and if he didn't why wasn't a arrest warrant issued for him yeah so scott one of the questions i'm sure that uh, cody and vernon the family one answered uh, is why wasn't the owner of the building of an apartment building why weren't they aware of the fact that Major was there and posed the threat? Is that, again, because they don't have access to the sex offender database, or is it because the, he was released and eventually, as the RCMP said in late September, he wasn't subject to any recognizance conditions any longer? Uh, no, it's because of the uh, Sex Offender Registration Act. It doesn't allow, uh, it very, very severely restricts 
access to information of people who are registered under it, and the public, um, including tenants, uh, prospective tenants, or landlords, you know, of the buildings that uh, people are going to be in close contact with each other, they're not allowed to get that information. And that, I think, is one of the changes that needs to happen here, Mm -hmm. is to allow, as I say, tenants, prospective tenants and landlords, not to get it themselves, but to go to the police and say, okay, look, we want to make sure that, you know, our tenants are not going to be exposed to this, or I've got to make a decision about where I want to live, and I don't want to live in a building with a uh, child sex offender. So I want you to find it. And there's an internal process that we also need to look into, because the, the national system is run by the RCMP, but basically it's administered by the provinces. And I can tell you just from my initial work on it, it seems like a pretty bureaucratic process. Okay. But I think it should be that those groups that I just mentioned are allowed to ask the police to reach out to the registry, and they don't have to know the name of the individual, but just is there somebody who is on the, and you could redefine the list, you know, so that it's violent sexual offenses or child sexual offenses, but that there's somebody at that stated address which they are required by law to give to the registry so that, you know, people like uh, Cody could make a decision, well, I'm not going to live there. Cody, too often the victims are um, are lost in the story, I find, in the in the developments. And I'm very hesitant to ask this question, but I think I, I must. Tell us a little bit about your fiancé and, and, and your son. Well, Mikhail was a wonderful person with a big heart, and she cared for everybody. And uh, she would give her shirt off her back to help anybody, and I kind of think that's what got her in this predicament. Um, I think she must have been trying to help him with something, or that's how he lured her over there. It was it was her kind heart? Um, yeah. She, and and my my son, you know, we were it was a short and sweet life that he lived. Right? We were we were inseparable. We spent every moment together. That's well. That's why they followed me around on the road for my work. Right. She didn't want to be away from me, and I didn't want to be away from them. Yeah, it's so so heartbreaking. Verna, you're a family friend. You've known Cody for for, for many years. What, what are you thinking right now? <laughs> That's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> I'm thinking, how is it possible that we are living this? <clears throat> Even from the moment when we were on our way to Hinton, trying to imagine what had possibly happen to Mikhail and Noah. I'm going to be very honest. I could not in my naive mind have ever come up with this scenario. I didn't believe that this could happen in our lives. And it was just shocking. And I think we still live in a little bit of shock and a lot of trauma. Yeah. Um, when, when Cody, when you said that you confronted this guy uh, three times in the hour after Mikhail and, and Noah had gone missing. That just makes it, makes my blood run cold. Uh, and have they told you anything at all about what's going to happen next or how the system will will react and act? Have, have you been told anything at all, Cody? Not really. Um, they haven't really said anything to me. Um, it's all kind of just up in the air. Nobody's really talking to us or anything. So I've been in 
uh, a little bit of contact with the Crown Prosecutor, but they can't tell us anything because of the case, right? They don't want to put the case in jeopardy. Right, of course. So let's ask the Crown Prosecutor, the former Crown Prosecutor, Scott Newark, former Alberta Crown Prosecutor. Scott, what's going to happen now? What happen, What happens in the system? How, how will Cody and how will uh, Mikhail and Noah uh, be represented? Um, they will have a, um, a role that they can actually play uh, in the act, in the uh, proceedings that which will be the criminal prosecution that's going to have to play itself out. Um, the uh, one of the uh, challenges in these kinds of systemic reforms is that essentially, if you're trying to look at doing policy reforms, it really it, things are generally put on hold until the actual case itself is completed. Um, I don't know about the nature of the evidence that they have against this guy. Uh, and whether it'll be expedited by him pleading guilty or not, I, I just simply don't know that. I can tell you, without getting into the details, I've already reached out to some people uh, to identify what some of these systemic issues are, because the kind of policy analysis can actually take place uh, without necessarily being implemented, because you can't influence the outcome of, of the criminal proceedings, of course. Uh, but you can do some of that groundwork and also take a look, as I've been doing, about exactly what kinds of changes would fix this mm-hmm. so that uh, people, law-abiding citizens, would have the right to know the knowledge that's in a publicly administered database yeah, yeah. about risk that they potentially face. It, it, is, it is impossible to accept, just using the most fundamental logic, that someone with major's record... judged to be a threat to women and children going forward, warned by the Edmonton Police Service that he posed a threat. It's it's impossible to to say that any thinking human being would say, well, okay, then we'll just let him go. We won't won't really tell anybody if he's living in an apartment building who he's living next to. It's it's impossible to, 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 to put that together. Cody, do you have a question for Scott? Um, I think just basically on the family's part is our question is to Scott, um, please help us and guide us in knowing what we have to do, what doors we have to knock on, who we have to talk to, um, to make these changes so that uh, we save lives. We need to be proactive rather than reactive. Right now we are suffering because we're reactive, but we need people to be safe. You're 100% correct, and uh, you can count on my full support and help. Thank you. You have somebody who's incredibly knowledgeable and has been uh, leading reform of our justice system for more than 30 years. I, uh, I, I, I don't, there, are th- there are times you just, you're lost for words. And this case, this, this, what happened and how your family is going to go forward, um, it just leaves me lost for words. Let me just, let me just uh, say this, Scott, let me just say this. All right. I just hope, and I just hope that the system will provide you with something that you can take away with and, and build on and feel like you weren't totally abandoned. Scott, we have about a minute. Go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to point out some, um, I think, uh, reasons for some degree of optimism in terms of change. Uh, you may uh, recall, your listeners may recall recently information about new laws being adopted in Saskatchewan and Alberta. It's co- known as Claire's Law, yes. and it's where the 
government is able to give through the police information about uh, former uh, uh, domestic violence offenders to women because they form a, they have a special risk. That's the same in my view as uh, people who might be living in an apartment building with someone like that. And the second thing is I've done in poking around through the legislation on the sex offender registry, I found out that in 2011 it was amended. And guess what? One of the amendments was to the purpose of the registry, which originally was to help police in crime investigation. You know what? Now it's crime investigation and crime prevention. Hello. Yeah, that means that people like families like this should yep. be entitled to know, you know, who it is that is potentially living in the building. Right. You can still protect the privacy, but you get to know that somebody's in the building that's a potential risk. Right. And that's a crime prevention tool. Yes, it is. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.